The scripture reading for this morning is taken from the book of Judges, chapter 6, verses 1 to 14. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep, nor cattle, nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count the men and their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. When the Israelites cried to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I snatched you from the power of Egypt and from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not listened to me. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abysrite, where his son Gideon was threshing the wheat in a winepress to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. But sir, Gideon replied, If the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Here ends the reading. Praise be to God. Amen. Well, as we uh, come, we finished out the, uh, the series most recently, um, and we're going to be starting a new series in September. Next week, we're having a baptismal service. I'm really, really excited for that on two things, for two things. Number one, we're going to be baptizing eight next Sunday. But also, during that time, I'm going to be giving another person an opportunity to preach. We've been working with one of our under-shepherds uh, who has a desire to preach and going to give him an opportunity to preach next week. And really, really looking forward to it. Jimmy's going to be preaching, and Jimmy does a good job. And so we're really looking forward to that next week. But as we, as we begin today, I want to give you a taste of what's going to be coming up in September. In two weeks, we're going to be going on holiday, and I'll be gone for two weeks at holiday back into the States. And so during the t- or after I come back, we're going to be starting a new series called Experiencing God, Knowing and Doing the Will of God. It's a tremendous series. This is my third time doing it, and this is the third church I've done it in. It, it's been life-changing for me every single time that I've done it. And I'm really looking forward to it. We're going to be doing it for seven weeks. We'll finish up with it at the very end of October. But really, really looking forward to that series. But I want to give you a taste of what it is that we're going to be looking at and how it is that that we look at Scripture as we see God's hand in the midst of it. So as we look this morning, we're in Judges chapter chapter 6, verses 1 to 14. And as it begins, uh, we need to set the stage. This is a very, very dark time for the nation of Israel. And we look at it and we say... We're walking through kind of a tough time here as the city of Hong Kong, aren't we? 
I mean, we've had nine weeks of, of unrest in our city. And we're asking the question, as Israel must have been asking the question, God, where are you? And, and what is it that you're up to? That, ooh, hello. <laughs> yes, God, we hear that. <laughs> because that God is at work is not the question. He is. That's your first thing. That God is at work is not the question. He is. God is always at work around us. John chapter 5 verse 19 says that my father is always at his work, even to this very day. Every person that you see is somebody in whose life that God is at work. I watch them walk by here every single day. Tens of thousands of people every week walk by here. And in every single one of those people, God is at work in their lives. And God is at work in your life. And when you say, well, I don't see God at work in my life, he is at work. When Jesus said that my father was always at his work, that means that he's always at his work, all the way around you, in and through your life. And when you see, well, say, oh, I, I, don't, I don't know when God is at work. You're going to hear this many, many times, me say this. How do you recognize when God is at work? We know from Scripture, Romans chapter 6, or Romans chapter 3, verse 10 says, that there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that seeks after God. So we know that someone on their own is not going, to, not going to have a desire to know about God. Because Jesus said that no one comes to the Father unless the one who sent me draws them. So when somebody begins to talk to you about church, when somebody begins to talk to you about, about prayer, when somebody begins to talk to you about the Bible, we know that that's God at work. I was talking with somebody yesterday and said, how did you become a Christian? How did you start coming to this church? And she said, I was brand new to Hong Kong. She said, I was brand on my first holiday. And she said, I got at the MTR stop. And she said, I saw two Filipinos and I said to them, do you, where are you going? Are you going to church? And they said, yes, we're going to church. That right there, the antenna should go up. And they said, how would you like to come with me to church? And that's where that lady prayed to receive Christ as her personal Savior. When somebody begins to talk about church, about God, about prayer, about your relationship with God, your antenna should go up because that's God at work in their lives. And whenever God shows you where it is, that it was, this is huge, whenever God shows you where it is that he is at work, that's his invitation for you to join him in what it is that he's doing. God was at work in the nation of Israel. This was an incredibly dark time. Joshua, Judges chapter 21, verse 25. This is kind of encapsulates the whole mood of the book of Judges. Because this comes at the very end, but it's also found in chapter 17. And it says, in those days, Israel had no king. And everyone did as he saw fit. A classic example of this is Samson. Remember the, the big guy with the hair and all the muscles? When he goes out to find his wife, he goes to people who are not Israelites. And his father says to him, all the women here in Israel, you can't find one, one there? And he says to him, no. He says, get her for me. And the Hebrew is huge here. He says, get her for me, because in the Hebrew, literally, she is right in my eyes. Everyone, there was no king in Israel, and everyone did, in their, literally, in their own eyes, what they saw was right in their own eyes. Israel's in a vicious cycle during this time. The cycle goes like this. The nation of Israel sins. God gives them over into the hands of, of their oppressors. They, they stay there for a while, then they, begin, then they cry out to God. God sends them a deliverer, and they follow God for a while. And then they go right back around in the same cycle. And this has been going on. As we reach chapter 6, there's already been several judges and several, um, several years 
of oppression that's going on. But this set of oppression that's going on right now has been really bad. And they're into year seven. Would you go ahead and put up the, the first scripture there? Judges chapter six. It says that, again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And for seven years, he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. It was after seven years that they finally begin to cry out to God. I mean, what does it take? Sometimes we wonder, what's it going to take for that person to finally come to Christ? Some people, some of us, our heads are pretty hard. And I think their hearts are pretty hard here too. He says, because of the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared for themselves shelters in the mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. Let me just put a pause on that for a second. Let me show you what it is that we're talking about. Can you go ahead and put the map up, Dory? This is what we're talking about. This is the area. And I wish we would have been able to have like a, what do you call it? Uh, a map that shows where the desert is, where, you know, where, uh, I'm, I'm losing the word here, but anyway, where it would show where it's green and where it would show is the desert. Because if you would look around Israel, especially around, around uh, the, the Jordan River, that's very green. Very fertile area, especially as you go closer over to the ocean. But that area to the east of Israel and down to Arabia and over on the other side getting close to Egypt, this is the area we're talking about. It's not just the Midianites. The Midianites would have been down by Arabia, but it's, all, it's three or four different groups of people. And if you were to look at that at map, you'd see that nothing much grows there at all. And so what were they doing? They're using Israel as the place where they're going to come and they're going to raid. And it seems like what, what's happening there is when the crops came and when the crops were ready to be harvested, this is when they'd all traipse in, ravage the land, ravage the crops, and ravage the animals as well. I mean, there was nothing left. And it's in the midst of this time, it's in the midst of this time that they cry out to God. And it says in Judges chapter 6, that Judges chapter 6, verse 7, it says, When the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, Watch this. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I snatched you from the power of Egypt and from the hand of your oppressors. I drove them out from before you and gave you into their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live. But you have not listened to me. It's like, oh, my word. Okay, we get it already. We know what it is that we've done is wrong. And then God intervenes. That God is at work is not the question. He is. The question we need to be asking ourselves is this. Where and how is God at work? God, where are you at work in our city? God, where are you at work in our community? God, where are you at work in our church? God, where are you at work in my personal life? That God is at work is not the question he is. The question is where and how is it that God is at work in your life? We need to be asking that question because understanding what God is about to do is more important than you telling God what it is that you want to do for him. Sometimes we say to God, okay, God, what's your plan for my life? That's the wrong question to ask. The question we should be asking is, God, what's your plan? And how is it that I can join you in what it is that you're doing? Because God here, he was at work. And when we look at God's plan and understanding God's plan, when when God comes to Abraham, what is he planning to do? He's planning to make a nation. He's planning to bless the world in and through Abraham, isn't he? How much information 
about his plan and how, he's, how he plans to bring that about. How much of that does he share with Abraham? <laughs> Nothing. He simply says to him, what? Leave the place where you're at. Leave your family. Leave everything you've ever known. And do what? And go to the place. He doesn't even tell him where to go. He just says, go to the place that I will show you. And Abraham does what? He packs up everything and leaves and goes to the place where God wanted. Abraham experienced God, but he experienced God because he was obedient to what it was that God told him to do. When God is setting out here to work in the nation of Israel, what is he planning to do in and through, in and through Gideon? He's planning to deliver Midian from the hands, or he's planning to deliver Israel from the hands of Midian, and he's choosing to use Gideon. I played that song that we had at offering for a reason. God chooses nobodies, doesn't he? God doesn't choose people with, with large pedigrees. God chooses nobodies to use. And here we had Gideon. God always takes the initiative. That's your third thing. God always takes the initiative in what it is that he's setting about to do. We see when he comes to, when he comes to Gideon in verse 11. I love this. If you'd go there to verse 11. Next one, please. Verse 11, Dory. Well, let me read it. It says in, verse, uh, in Judges 13, 11 to 13, it says, The angel of the Lord came and sat down under an oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abizarite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a winepress to keep it from the Midianites. So just stop there a second. Where do you normally thresh wheat? I mean, for us here in, in Hong Kong, the closest thing to wheat is parking shop. I mean, that's a, you, you go there, okay, that, I know I get the flour, but it comes from somewhere. And, and you've you got to thresh the wheat, and how they would thresh the wheat is they'd look for a high hill, and they would flail the, the, the wheat first. They would hit it with a, with a stick that would take the, the kernels of wheat off of the heads, and then they would take those, the, all, the, all those heads and all the, all the chaff and everything else, and they put it in a large, a large flat basket. And they would take that basket up on top of the hill and they would throw it up into the air because the, the kernels would fall down to the ground because they're heavier, but the wind would take the chaff away. You made sure you did it on top of the hill. Where, where's Gideon doing this? He's down in the hole. I mean, he, he's trying to make a living here. He's just trying to protect his crop from the Midianites. You know, I think about that. Where did God come to Gideon when he wanted to do something? Number one, God always initiates. We never initiate anything for God. God is always the one who initiates what it is that he's going to do. So we need to be asking, we need to be watching where God is at your work. But it's interesting. Where does he come to him? I mean, this is Gideon. He's just he's earning a living. He's just trying to make, it, make a go of things. And I think about when God comes to us. He comes to us in the middle of our lives, doesn't he? I wonder if Gideon, if he almost wasn't tempted to say, Really? Now? I'm a little busy here. And sometimes that can be our response to God, too. When God shows us what it is he's doing, it's like, oh, thank you, God, for, for showing me, but I, wow, I'm hip deep here in life, and I got all kinds of stuff. I got bills that got to be paid. Um, maybe there's somebody else you can choose for what it is you want to do. Understand that there is always an eternal dimension. There is always an eternal dimension when God places his call, when God shows you what it is that he's going to do. When God says to Jonah, go to the land of, 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 of uh, 
Nineveh, thank you. Go to the land of Nineveh and preach against it because his wickedness has come up before me. I mean, the Hebrew is very clear. It's go. It's a, it's a command. And what do we see Jonah doing? It's almost laughable. If there weren't this eternal dimension to it. God says, go to Nineveh. Go, go this way. And Jonah literally goes this way. He's like, hang it on your beak, God. I'm not going. I'm not doing that. I don't like them. And I'm not going to be part of what it is, God, that you're doing there. How many people passed into a Christless eternity between the time when Jonah finally did what God called him to do and in that time that he was running away from God? Understand there is always an eternal dimension to what it is that God is calling you to do. And sometimes we're in the middle of life and, we're, and God taps us on the shoulder and says, Hey, um, did you notice your workmate there? He's walking through a pretty tough time, and he's been talking to you about, you know, where you go to church, and, you know, why is it that you, you can't be with us on Sundays? You're, you're going to church. I want you to share your life with him. I want you to, to listen to what he's saying and respond and point him to Jesus. You're thinking, oh, my goodness, I'm getting home at 8 o'clock at night the way it is. I, I, don't, I don't have time to do this. Remember, whenever God shows you what it is that he's doing, that's him inviting you to join him. Think about that. The God of this universe inviting us to be part of what he's doing. That ought to light your fire right there. But the God of this universe inviting us to, do, to be part of what he's doing. And he invites Gideon. I love this. And he says, Gideon's in the wine press, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him. He says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Was Gideon a mighty warrior when God, when God approached him? Well, what's Gideon's first response? Verse 13, his first response. But sir, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Good question. Gideon not only knew what it was that God had said, what his ancestors had said about God and how he had brought them out of Egypt. But maybe he forgot and maybe his ancestors forgot what God had also said in his word. Today I set before you blessings and curses. And he says, if you choose to do what it is that I ask you to do, I will pour out more blessing into your lap than what you will ever be able to hold. But if you choose to go in your direction, all of this, and God lays it out. I mean, man, there's a scripture after verse after verse of what God said he's going to do. This is what's going to happen. It's exactly what's happening. Why was this happening? Because they'd walked away from God. And sometimes we look at our lives and say, why is this happening to me? Go back and do a little inventory in your lives and say, okay, was there ever a time recently, or maybe not so recently, that I chose to walk in my own direction, even though I know this is what God is calling me to do? Our next response tells us what it is we believe about God. Will I turn back to God's face? Because God says, you know, you, can't, you, you reap what you sow. Don't, don't be mocked. God is, God is not mocked. A man will reap what it is that he sows. And when you sow to the wind, you're going to reap the whirlwind. And this is what's going on here in Israel. He says, where, 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 why is all this happening to us? Where are all the wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? I wonder. I could be totally wrong on this, but I wonder. If that wasn't a prayer, if that wasn't a prayer, or if that wasn't something that 
Gideon voiced. Maybe as he's threshing wheat. Maybe as he's looking at, at what's going on. God, where are you? God, where, where is all this? And it's interesting how Gideon will experience God. This is a huge area. This is a huge thing for him. But he said, now the Lord has abandoned us and put, put us into the hands of Midian. Had God abandoned them? No, not at all. Not at all. God says in his word, God says in his word in, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13, he says, if we are faithless, he will remain faithful. And, he, and it says that he cannot, he cannot disown himself as well. We need to see things. This is your second or your fourth thing here. Uh, we must see things from God's perspective and not ours. We must ask to see things from God's perspective. And Gideon was seeing things from his perspective, but we need to ask God to see things from his perspective and not ours. Because Gideon, he's looking at himself, and God says to him, go in the strength that you have. And Gideon's thinking, I have no strength. And what does he say? He says, my tribe is the smallest of all the tribes. And he said, in my family, I, I'm the least in my family. God, you've got to have somebody else out there. And God says, go in the power that you have. Am I not sending you? That is huge. Because does God ever call us for a second to do anything in our own strength and in our own power? Never. Could, could Gideon accomplish what it is that God is going to call him in his own strength and power? God's going to show him how a- absolutely foolish that is. We can't. Sometimes I hear people say, God will never give you anything more than what you can handle. That is not true. It is just not true. You look all the way through Scripture, the things that God called His people to do. Unless God shows up, it's not going to happen. God never for a million years calls us to do anything in our own strength and power. But what does He say? He says, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. We go in the strength and in the power of the Lord, don't we? When you prayed to receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, your life changed for eternity. Here's how it changed. We read in in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, I am crucified with Christ, and yet not I live, but Christ lives in me. This life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and who has set me free. Who lives within me? It is Christ. This very second person of the Trinity. When we go out, in whose authority do we go out? Matthew chapter 28, Jesus, just before he ascends into heaven, he says, All authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me. Therefore, go. God says, All authority. We go in the authority and in the name and in the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we read in Colossians chapter 1, verse 19, that it said, God was pleased to allow all of his fullness to dwell in his son Jesus Christ. All of the fullness of God, the very person of God within you, in the authority of God. In whose strength do we go? We go in God's strength. Boy, that, that should reassure you. And if your wood's wet, that should light it on fire here because this is, this is huge. God didn't call you. God doesn't call us to do anything in our own strength and in our own power. And what he was calling Gideon to do, he was not calling him to do in his own strength and power. We need to ask God, God, would you help me to see this from your perspective? God, would you show me? what it is that you're doing. God, help me to see. Because when we look at times, especially difficult times, that's all we see is the difficulty. God, would you show me what you're doing behind the scenes? God, would you show me how it is that you're involved in this situation? We need to ask God for that perspective. When God speaks, it's your fifth one, when God speaks, he will always result in two things. The first one is a crisis of belief. 
When God sent Gideon out, did Gideon believe what it was that God was saying? Go in the strength that you have. Am I not with you? Did he honestly believe that? Because when God speaks to us, did Gideon, wait, wait a second. Did Gideon understand who it was that was speaking to him? You can read ahead just a little bit. After Gideon hears what it is that God says to him, Gideon says, wait, wait, wait a second. Let me, let me prepare a little meal here for you. And so he went out and prepared a meal. And it says the angel of the Lord. Whenever you see that in the Old Testament, that's the pre-incarnate form of Christ. And the angel of the Lord said, okay, put it down in front of me. And when he t- puts the tip of the, of, the, of the staff onto both the meat and the broth, what happens to it? It's vaporized. And Gideon's like, oh, I'm in the presence of God. And he says, you're not going to die. So, does Gideon know who he's talking to? Without a doubt. What does Gideon do? And this is one of those times when Scripture leaves something in there, but it doesn't leave it in there so that we can say, okay, the next time I'm faced with a decision, I'm going to do like Gideon. When God speaks, you will know that it's God. Because how does God speak to you? I say, how does God speak to you? He speaks to you through his word. We're going to talk more about that later on. But the main vehicle through which God will speak to you is through his word. So let me ask a question. So if we're not spending time in the word, if we don't have a regular practice, and guys, I I get it. I get up at 5 o'clock in the morning to be here by 8 o'clock in the morning, 8.15 in the morning. I mean, I am not a morning person, but I find if I don't get up early enough, I don't spend the time that I need to with God. And if I don't spend the time I need with God, you know who suffers? It's not only me, but it's you. I cannot give you what God hasn't given me. And I have to spend time in God's word. And when God speaks to you, you will know that it's God. And that's the time when you have to make a decision. Do I believe what it is that God said? Think about Joshua. Joshua is getting set to go into the land. They crossed the, they're getting ready to cross the Jordan River. And Joshua knows what faces him. The first city is Jericho, a city with an amazingly high, high walls. And it says, the angel of the Lord met him there. And Joshua comes back with the battle plan. Can you see all the, all the generals around there? It's like, all right, what is it we're going to do? How is it going to take Jericho? Um, yeah, about that. Yeah, we're, God told me that we are to walk around the city. We're to march around the city for six days. And we're not to say anything. But on the seventh day... We're to march around the city seven times, and then after the seventh time, then we're supposed to shout to the Lord. Can you see those generals? Uh, yeah, right. You've been out in the sun too long, Joshua. But they believed God. And what happened on that seventh day? That seventh day, the, the walls came down, and you look at archaeological history, the walls did not come down outward. That would have crushed the Israelites came down inside. God did exactly what he said he was going to do. But you will never experience God if you don't trust him. The second thing that that comes into play is not only a crisis of belief, but is a radical adjustment. You cannot stay where you are and go with God. For Gideon to join God in what he was doing required a radical adjustment. You can read ahead. I mean, God told him, in addition to doing this, God told him, tear down your father's altar to Baal and the Asherah pole. That was scary stuff. But he did what it was that God called him to. And I missed the part about the fleece, but you guys can go ahead. I I, I don't agree with that for a second. Okay, so you guys can go back and look at that this afternoon. But 
Gideon had to make a radical adjustment. And when God calls us, we need to make radical adjustments. A year ago, a year ago today was the first time you guys heard me, heard me preach. We came here to this beautiful city, roasted like crazy because it was so hot while we were here. And while we were here, you guys presented us with a call to come here as your pastor. That required Beck and I to make a radical adjustment because we were thinking the whole time, it's like, wow, God, seriously, Hong Kong? Uh, we were in a, a, a beautiful church. We had a wonderful staff. We had a home. We had garden. Becca had her beehives. We had grandchildren just, you know, an hour and a half away and seven-hour drive over here. And life was good. And God interrupted our life and said, hmm, you know that call that I gave you 30 years ago? It's still valid. Only thing of it was, I was calling you then. The call that I gave you then it's now that I'm going to bring it about. And for us to join God in what he was doing meant that we had to sell everything, almost everything we own, had to, had to move away from our, our children, our grandchildren, had to sit down and talk with them, had to hug our grandchildren for the last time for we didn't know how long it was going to be, and to come here and to join God in what he was doing. Has it been wonderful? It is. Has it been tough? Yes, it has. Because, you know, it, living in a culture of Hong Kong, would I trade it for anything else in the world? No. Because I've experienced God in ways that I never would have if I would have stayed where I was. Two things will happen when God speaks to you. One will be a crisis of belief. Do I believe what it is that God is telling me to do? And secondly, will I move in obedience to what it is that God is telling me to do? Radical adjustments. Now here's where it gets good. Man, if you're sleeping, now's the time to wake up. Because God moves in. You know, this is almost laughable. Uh, in, in verse... In verse, uh, in verse 12, uh, Judges chapter, chapter 7, verse 12, we get a picture of, of what this was like. The Midianites and the Amalekites and all the eastern peoples had settled in the valley, thick as locusts. Their camels could be no more counted than the sands of the seashore. I mean, it's just, as far as you can see, there are people. And, and look at what God says to them in verse 2. This is where it's almost laughable. God says, you have too many men. It's like, what? what? When... when when Gideon sounds the horn and says for people to come, come there to him to, to do battle with the Midianites, how many show up? 32,000. And God says you got too many. Yeah, there's thick as fleas on a dog's back out here, but you got too many people here to work with. You got 32,000, you got too many. And so what does he say? In order that Israel may not boast against me that, that her own power and strength has saved her, God, it is said, I will not share his glory with another. He will not share his glory with another. Whatever God sets about to do through you, one of the things he calls for us in our lives is absolute humility. Because if we are not humble and we begin to take the praise and the glory and the honor upon ourselves, God will remove us very, very quickly. The glory belongs to him and to him alone. It says in the Psalms, it is not to us, O Lord, it is not to us, but it is for your glory and it is for him alone. He says, he goes on and he says, uh, this is what, what you're to do. Verse 3. Excuse me, verse 4. He says, the, but the Lord said to Gideon, there's still too many men. Take them down to, or he said, okay, first of all, let me stop here a second. I'm getting ahead of myself. So he says, okay, you got too many men. He says, say to anyone who's afraid, you can go home. And like a dog with his tail between his legs, 22,000 leave. It's like, you bunch of cowards. 
And yet they, they leave. And Gideon is left with 10,000. Can't you imagine what Gideon must have felt like watching all these guys kind of slinking away? And he's got 10,000, and God says, you still have too many. Let me tell you what I'm going to do. You go down to the stream, and the ones who lay down on their belly and drink like a dog, he says, you're going to sift those off. The ones that go to their knee and cup the water to their mouth, he says, those are the ones I want. And when the dust settles, there's 300. There's 300. God says, now I can do my work. And cutting to the chase, what does God do? He destroys the nation of Midian and all the others. But how does he do it? They turn upon one another. They turn upon... God does what only God can do. And when God showed up, first of all, to, to uh, Gideon, Gideon said, Where, where's the Lord? Where's this God that we've been hearing about? This God who delivered us from Israel. When Gideon moved in obedience to God, he experienced God in a way in which he never would have. He came to know the same God that led his ancestors out of Egypt. He came to know that God is the God who could deliver them out of the hands of Midian. When you obey God, you will experience God. You will come to know God in a way that you never would have had you not walked in obedience. Let me tell you a story, and with this I'm done. Don't pack up everything just because I said we're done. Okay, let me tell you one last story. So when we're in, in when the last church I was at, we had a we had a, a, a youth group that was getting large, quite quite large. We had hired a youth pastor, and uh, the youth group was going really really well. And the youth group was meeting offsite. We didn't have enough room in our church. Uh, they had Wednesday night, they had Awana, and that was the night that the youth wanted to meet. There was no room. We tried everything. We tried Sunday night. We tried this and that. It just didn't work. And so the discussion was around, hey, we have 21 acres of land here. Why don't we build a youth building on this land? You know, metal structure. Why don't we do that? So we looked at our building, at our building fund. We had $100,000 U.S., $785,000 Hong Kong dollars. We had that in our account. And as we uh, took the bids and everything, it came out it was going to be $200,000 U.S. So I don't know what that is uh, in, in Hong Kong dollars. But that, that's what it's going to be. We said, well, we have $100,000 U.S., and said, okay. And so the, the building committee got together. Now, here's where we've got to stop for a second. It was Mother's Day weekend. Becca and I left to go to, to uh, Montana to visit our kids over Mother's Day weekend. I didn't know that the building committee was going to be meeting while we were gone. I didn't also know something else. So I, I'll tell you that in a minute. So Monday morning, I come into the office and I and my, greet my secretary. I said, well, how did things go yesterday at church? And she said, I don't know. She said, I went up north to, to see my mother over Mother's Day. And so didn't know anything was going on. About 2 o'clock in the afternoon, my secretary is kind of a big lady. She came running. She never ran. She came running into my office. And she's holding this. She says, Pastor, Pastor, you've you got to look at this. And she slides me an envelope with a letter. And in the envelope, in the letter, it says this. Dear sir, please find, in, please find enclosed in this envelope a check for $100,000. Here's where God steps in. Unbeknownst to me, the Sunday that I was gone, the building committee chairman had gotten up in front of the church. The building committee decided, they had prayed and they prayed and they said, we are going to trust God for the $100,000. we are not going to take out a loan. We're going to trust God for the $100,000. I didn't know this. He gets up. He's a salesman. He gets up in front of the church as a passionate power play. He says, folks, he says, we got 10 weeks of summer. 
He says, we need $100,000. He said, that's $10,000 a week. He says, we can do it. I said, I believe that God is going to provide. And he said, we have 10 weeks to do this, and we can do this. I didn't realize this. And so when I look at this check, I, I called him up and I said, Lynn, you're not going to believe this. We got a $100,000 check today. And, I, and he said, where did it come from? And I said, I don't know. It was an anonymous donor. Our denomination has where uh, people, if they want to they set aside money, if they want to give money uh, to the denomination, to the church, they can do that. And he said, somebody wrote out a check for $100,000 to the church. And I was like, Lynn, God provided. He said, what day was that check cut? I looked on the date, and I, and it, I gave him the date, and he said, that was the very date that as a building committee, we said, we're going to trust God. Unbeknownst, I mean, this was Colorado Springs where the check was cut. We were in Minnesota. That's hundreds of thousands of miles away from one another. And yet God knew exactly the time when, it was, when that check was to be cut. The day in which they said, we're going to trust God, was the day in which that check was cut. Did our church come to experience God in a way that they would never have? You can shake your head. Yes, they did. Because when we, when we broke ground on that, on that youth facility, we knew this was what God was calling us to do. And when we dedicated that, we knew this is what God had called us to do. And God brought in youth from all over the community. We had a facility now, and we had a place where they could meet, a place where they could hang out. And God wonderfully blessed it. As a community, people heard about what God did. As a congregation, we saw God and we learned that God is a God who can provide no matter how big the need may be. Individual members of that building committee, did they come to experience God in a way they never would? Yes, they did. Whatever God begins to do, he will always initiate. God is at work always around you. What God is doing, that God is at work is not the question. He is. It's where is he at work? And what is it that he's planning to do in and through you? And whenever God speaks to you, you will know that it is God. But it will always elicit two responses. First is a crisis of belief. And the second is a radical adjustment in your plans. Because when God does what he's going to do, there'll be no doubt. Did Gideon have any doubt? Did the nation of Israel have any doubt? They didn't. God showed up in a powerful way. And I'm looking and I'm asking the question, God, why now? Why have you so impressed upon my heart that we do this series at this time? I don't know. Looking at what's going on in our city and thinking about what's going on in our lives, God, what is it that you have planned? Whatever God has planned, he will initiate. That's why I'm calling us as a congregation. We need to have our hearts and our minds and our eyes open, our ears open to hearing what is it that God you're doing. Spending time before him in his word because God is seeking to work in and through this church, in and through your community groups, in and through you as families, where you are at work, where you are personally, where you are as a family, God is beginning to work, or God is already at work around you. And when God shows you what it is that he's doing, that's his invitation for you to join him. These are exciting times. These are times that scare me to the very bottom of my toes. It's like, God, what are you calling? What is it that you're desiring? But I know that whatever God calls to you, he will be the one that will bring it to completion. Amen? Amen? Amen. Father, thanks again for the word. God, thank you for how you have ministered in and through our hearts this morning. And God, I don't know what's going on in each of our lives. I know that you haven't abandoned us. 
as we look at our city and the turmoil that we're walking through, God, you are in this. You are in this. You will bring about glory to your name, even through what has been going on. But Father, we pray for peace. We pray that you would bring peace to this city. And we pray that people would come to know you as Savior, that God, a mighty outpouring of your hand would happen. Lord, I don't know when the last revival was in Hong Kong. I know there have been people like Billy Graham here many years ago, but God, we long for a fresh outpouring of your spirit over this, over this community, over our church, in our personal lives, in our community groups. God, where we work, Lord, we cry out to you and pray and ask that, God, you would open our eyes and our hearts and our minds to what it is that, God, you're doing. And then, God, would you give us the resolve, the resolve of Caleb, the resolve of Joshua, that when you call, when you show us, that we'll not give you excuses, but we will do and we will make those radical adjustments that you call us to make. And God, in advance of what you're going to do, we give you glory. We give you glory for including us in your plans. We give you glory for working in and around us. And God, would you help us? Would you speak to us? Would you give us a hunger and a thirst for your word? And Lord, would you help us? We're all busy. My goodness, we're busy. But Lord, would you help us to spend time with your word? And would you speak powerfully, Lord, through your word when we open up those scriptures? To you belongs the glory and the honor. I pray your richest blessing. God, would you go with us in this week? Would you be with us in the midst of the heat? Just go with us, Lord. Allow our lives to be a blessing. And Lord, allow people to see you in and through us. We pray this, Father, in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. The grace.